this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Record. I okay. hit it. I hit it. Hit I did it. Woo! Woo! All we're right. Here. We're, we're doing here. it. It's happening. For some reason, that dumb joke about seven, eight, nine keeps popping into my head, and I just, I like, because I think <sighs> recently I'd overheard, um, or like on some show, or like overheard somebody like telling it poorly. You know, they were like, "Yeah, why is six afraid of eight or something?" And it's like. You know, because nine, seven, six, or, like yeah. the real joke, the original joke is like, why is six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. But then in my mind, I'm just like, you could be like, why is six afraid of seven? Because seven was a butt to nine. I don't know. Like, you know, it's yeah, just, just like completely butcher. <laughs> anyway. My dad is terrible at telling jokes. Like, uh-huh. He ruins the punchline every time. Uh-huh. He puts the punchline in the wrong spot or whatever. So yeah. not only are the jokes not funny, mm-hmm. they are incoherent and oftentimes... <laughs> They are revelatory of the way that the joke should have been told, so it would have been funny had it not been ruined. Um, Maybe Uh, another reason I'm not talking to him right now. Right. Okay. (laughs) Well, don't talk about your family. Let's talk about important shit. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. The Mechanical Turk. The Mechanical Turk. Uh, Another thing that lies to you like your family. Right. <laughs> Something else that gives the appearance of an inter- uh, amazingness and really is just full of disappointment. Right. Something that's meant to delight on the surface, but really underneath is just a big lie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're giving away the yeah, we're supposed to bury the lead. The Shit. way the way that you do, uh, you know, uh, media content is that you know, first of all, we're going to have this amazing, the reason you clicked on this podcast is because we had this amazing title that just promises the world. And you're like, oh my God, I also can't believe whatever thing. <laughs> right. Blowing my mind with this title like, right now. Yeah. Like the title of this podcast would be like, you won't believe the kind of AI chess players they had in 18 in 1776. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, oh god an undefeated chess player from the 1770s yes yeah you won't believe you Um, won't believe this entirely mechanical machine before the Mm -hmm. dawn of computers right (laughs) (laughs) got the best of both napoleon and benjamin franklin Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um yeah uh something uh, yeah until it was brutally exposed by uh edgar (laughs) Allan poe eviscerated (laughs) in the news (laughs) <laughs> by Edgar Allan Poe, who is like just the best guy ever. Yeah. Like his shit's just so great. He was such a great writer. Like he kind of reminds me of Bob from Bob's Burgers. Yes. Who's just this like long suffering, belabored, <laughs> yes. the only person in the room who has a fucking clue what's going on and yet is right. just disparaged by everybody somehow. Just constantly. Even though he's the only capable person. He, he's like, the, he's just sitting there like, mm, I don't know about that. That seems like a bad idea. No, hold on. And just watches this train. Like, it's just desperate to not have the train wreck happen. And he's just can't get anyone to stop. Right. And like everybody's like this depressed gothic man of short stature is an yeah. alcoholic who married his cousin or something. Don't listen to anything he says, even though like all of that was false. Yes. 
Uh, um, okay, so welcome yeah. to our podcast. Welcome uh, to the yeah <laughs> the mess the mess. Um, the little bit of front matter. If you want to contact us, you can email Dana, the CEO and founder of this um, fantastic empire of media and interest. Um, uh, so that's D A N A at fcbm.io. Uh, send her an email. She will forward it on to whoever as needed. Um, you can also just go to the website fcbm.io and there's contact information for everybody that you might be interested in getting a hold of. Um, yeah. And let me encourage you to send emails because we get them from time to time from our listeners and it's fantastic. Um, and we, yeah. you can be part of the conversation we if you want it. or you can just send us a little note or you can be like, I'm really angry about this thing and we'll probably right. read it. Um, yeah, we'll totally read it. We may not respond to it. Yeah. Or yeah. we might. We might be I, like, I'm so sorry that you've been offended. Yeah. I mean, like, we'll probably, like, we don't have a huge listenership, so we'll probably respond to you if that's right. something you indicate you would like. Like, we're both going to be interested and not you know we're not going to be like oh my god do you know what this person just said and expose you like just send an email (laughs) we'll be very polite we'll we'll respect your privacy and you know and only ask for things if you know if we're like hey we'd like to talk about this and you're like fuck no then that's it that's the end of the conversation anyway um (laughs) then we won't uh where was i going oh so uh Today's podcast is about the Mechanical Turk and this really bizarre mechanical creation. Um, and I think this can best be summed up. How did you put it? You were like, these people had this like amazing ingenuity. and Right. These people had enough ingenuity to make like this fucking liar machine that is like... It's supposed to be a machine that can play chess and win against anyone, right? Yeah. And it's this automaton... Mm-hmm. Like around this, this is around the time that like Descartes was thinking of great stuff in the long scale of humanity, like not immediately happening at the same time. But he was like obsessed with automatons too. And like everybody was obsessed with automatons. Like, oh, it's, it looks like a person, but it's not. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know why everybody was so obsessed with this idea at the time. Right. This is sort they of like, like the age of the clockwork man, you know? Yes, it was super weird. Everybody was obsessed with this like fatty stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. so they make this like fucking chess playing machine that looks like a Turkish man emerging from a box. And so like weird like the mechanical Turk refers to the the this sta- half statue of a Turkish man yeah. <laughs> emerging from a box and you play chess against this machine the description of it to me like it emerging is more like like sitting behind a table that you would approach to i mean yes like it obviously is coming out of the box because it sits like there's only half of the 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 upper torso and arms and head right right? so um yeah like he's behind a countertop yeah but there's a in front of in front of the space of the uh this automaton is the chessboard and a little bit of room on the sides um and all of the depictions i can see are kind of um or here there's actually a description we can read about it uh hold on um i wish i had that kind of queued up but the like the Turk itself too is like okay, so we all know everything about like the British Empire was yeah. horrible, and so it's like like s- this like super tropey like racist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> construct of a of a of like 
what a brilliant chess playing foreigner would look like or yes. whatever like yeah. i don't know yeah. it's just a bunch of like racist british tropes piled into one game yeah um, so i a, a sort of paraphrase <laughs> a paraphrased with quotes um from a description of it was um the machine consisted of a life-size model of a human head and torso with black beard and gray eyes and dressed in Ottoman robes and a turban, the traditional costume, according to journalist author Tom Standage, um, of an oriental sorcerer. That's already problematic in so many ways. Um, <laughs> the standard yeah. costume of an oriental <laughs> sorcerer it's like oh no like you can't you can't even get like one or two words into the sentence you have to start unpacking everything and what they mean by this is yeah um its left arm held a long ottoman smoking pipe while at rest while its right lay on the top of a large cabinet um, I love that there's a smoking pipe because everyone in Turkey is a smoker yes. and they smoke drugs all the time. Yes. Drug smoking chess players. Yes. It's just like that's all you need to know about Turkey. We've captured everything essential in this one like right. automated chess board. Right. <laughs> everything you need to know about Turkish culture is represented here. Yeah. Um, the so uh <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So placed on top of the cabinet was a chessboard which measured measured 18 inches on the side. The front of the cabinet consisted of three doors, an opening, and a drawer which could be opened to reveal a red and white ivory chess set. Um, the interior of the machine was very complicated and designed to mislead those who observed it. Uh, when opened on the left, the front doors of the cabinet exposed a number of gears and cogs similar to clockwork. The section was designed so that if the back doors of the cabinet were open at the same time, one could see through the machine. The other side of the cabinet did not house machinery. Instead, it contained a red cushion and some removable parts, as well as brass structures. This area was also designed to provide a clear line of vision through the machine underneath the robes of the Ottoman model. Two other doors were hidden. These were ex- these also exposed clockwork machinery and provided a similar unobstructed view through the machine. The design allowed the presenter of the machine to open every available door to the public to maintain the illusion. Uh-huh. Look, 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 look. Look at me try to convince super, you super hard that nothing weird is going on here. Yeah. So it occurs to me that um, one of the things about like one of the things about this story that's interesting to me that may not be like immediately something that one would think about is like if you can put yourself in the context of this time period. So it's like, you know, it's 1770. Um, clocks were clocks were just, you know, kind of coming onto the forefront of the you know, the public mind. And so there was like a huge fascination with them. People didn't understand, you know, like your layman didn't necessarily have a strong understanding of how they work. I mean, to this day, like like clockwork is a very interesting thing. And when you learn about it, it's like both simple, but actually quite interesting. But Mm -hmm. um, at that time, (laughs) uh, anyway, uh, that's immaterial. My point is like, put yourself in the mindset of like not having, you know, cars don't really exist. Like there's not any like real machinery. We're like right on the cusp of the industrial revolution. So, um, you know, people are still shooting each other with musket balls and cannons. And like, you know, we've just kind of mostly put armor away and now started shooting each other. Um, And so the idea of like, of this, like recreating a, like a, a human Mm -hmm. in, 
you know, in a mechanical way is like probably super fascinating. Like it's probably the way, um, you know, kind of the way like chat GPT and things like that are like fascinating people right now. Yes. Yes. Because they seem like magic. Who was it that was like any sufficiently like advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? I want to say Arthur C. Clarke, but I'm not I, I don't know that that's true. I, okay. He is a science fiction author that writes hard science fi- sci-fi, but I I really am not sure. If you have Let's a strong ask opinion, Damon, if, if he knows, yeah, do you he, know who said that thing about Arthur C. Clarke? Ah, oh, nailed it. He okay, well, with you. someone concurs with me. Still, if that's wrong, by ab- absolutely write it and tell us how terrible we are. Send us um, an email. Yeah. Yes, send us an email. <laughs> yeah, um, we're um, the. Uh, the so that I I keep coming back to this thing about Descartes like yeah because he was like a, a total so- psychopath like he came up with like Cartesian shit you know mm-hmm. well obviously because it's named after him Descartes Cartesian refers to his last name Descartes anyway um his like whole thing was about like oh uh, rational things and like math and like measurements and how like um uh like he was a he was a so i bet you anything he was a serial killer are we talking about like the, in we're all talking honesty. about the french french yeah dude. the french philosopher descartes from yes. the enlightenment period right so right around the time of the obsession with like the mechanical turks and mechanical things and like th- like very complicated machinery mimicking biological forms and mm-hmm. things like that like oh you just if it's sufficiently complicated you can just recreate a human out of like non-biological parts out of these mechanical parts right right and like Descartes specifically was like such a fucking psycho that he was convinced that like animals yes. are just automatons and mm-hmm. aren't actually like biological what we would refer to as biological organisms. He was like, no, no, they're just these like really complicated machines. And so he vivisected a bunch of animals to prove this to people. Failed because obviously, right? Um, he's like, there's but gears in like, here. Sorry. He's like, there. It's just they, they, you know, the the screaming and all of the noises they make when you cut them apart when they're still alive. It was just the sounds of their parts grinding together. Oh, God. And I'll prove it to you by taking them apart in front of you. So he was like super fucking crazy. Like, yeah. high, like beyond violent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wasn't getting into like duels with people. He was just like super calmly taking apart living creatures yeah. um, to like prove points that he couldn't actually make. And so like, you know, he gets like all this credit for writing the meditations and the cogito ergo sum and like all this stuff, but also like all the terrible shit about him gets overlooked. And I just think about like the sort of cultural obsession at the time with these sorts of like automated, super complicated machines and like things with lots of gears and parts that like move in ways that are so complicated that they become mysterious and like how anything sufficiently complicated is really just like a, a sum of its parts and you can take it apart and recreate it and how like humans should be able to control all this stuff and like how wrong that is. In retrospect. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like I don't usually have the context in which to discuss what a fucking flagrant psycho asshole Descartes was, <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. There were a few of those throughout uh, philosophy mm-hmm. in history. Um, but yeah, so like uh, the obsession with mechanical people and mechanical things and mechanical recreations was like big, big deal <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so weird. Um, oh, so sorry. like I, in the 
in the Wikipedia entry on um, Mechanical Turk, mm-hmm. I uh, I found um, how they describe it somewhat amusing. Yes. Uh, like they describe it as a mechanical illusion, which yes. I think is like such an interesting way of describing something. Like it is an illusion. It's meant to be mm-hmm. illusory. It's meant to like fool people. Yeah. Um, but like I always think of illusions as sort of being like abstract concepts and not like a mechanical object. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. It's just cool how they describe that. Yeah, yeah. And and I think actually that that um, segues really well into what I was going to suggest. So so we can kind of, we're going to go more backer and kind of start at the beginning. So what the fuck is right. this thing? Um, so uh, there is this um, uh, person named Wolf Wolfgang von Kempler. Uh, Kempelen? Uh, um, yes. Yes, Kempelen. 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 Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, so he was um, he was born in 1734, died in 1804. So uh, Wolfgang um, constructed and unveiled this device in 1770 to impress Empress Marie Theresa of Austria. Theresa? Marie. Yeah. Maria Theresa of yeah. Austria. Um so th- at the unveiling, basically, he showed that the uh, this mechanism could play a strong game of chess against a human op- opponent, as well as perform something called the knight's tour. If you're not familiar with chess, um, the knight piece moves in a very particular pattern. It moves uh, basically up two squares and over one, um, or or in one direction, two squares and over one. So it's kind of this offset um move and so uh the knight's tour is a puzzle that requires the player to move a knight to occupy every square of the chessboard exactly once oh okay um yeah so i don't know that much about chess i i I mean i i'm passingly familiar with that i'm not actually i you know i haven't ever really looked that much into it but i can see how that is an interesting thing it's interesting you know like um, but my point is, like, put this in context, is people believed watching this that this machine was entirely mechanical, and then it was physically moving these pieces. It's not just, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, calculating and showing um, solutions, but also this kind of puts into context, like, the thinking at the time, right? Like, yeah, when people actually went to solve early compu- or create computers that could compute and play chess – the last thing that they did was actually move physical pieces. Oftentimes they just calculated new moves, right? Mm, like they okay. would, they would represent the state of the board. And then, you know, the mechanical part of it was um, in many ways, the hardest part. And so mm-hmm. this is actually very interesting because it's like this machine that can move a piece around. And this is goes to your point, which is that the fact that a player could remotely operate a mechanical mechanism that could then remotely move a piece on a board that wasn't directly in front of him or her. Right. But it, I think it was mostly men who sat in there. But, um, you know, it was all just men all the way down. <laughs> just right. whole farce <laughs> just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> like, let's pull one over on the, uh, <clears throat> you know, on the royalty. You may not know this, but there's a huge connection between chess and dicks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, my point is like, uh, you can imagine how amazing this must have seemed. For sure. I mean, just the the precision it would take to build the object itself, yes, much yeah. less have it function right. convincingly. Yeah. 
uh yeah that's it's nuts it's like a marvel i mean even yeah. now it's like i can't right. imagine if the two of us were like we're gonna build a replica of the mechanical turk i'd be like i don't know that we're actually qualified <laughs> to do this right yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no i don't know that this is gonna work yeah i mean it is an amazing mechanism <laughs> um the fact that they felt the need to like then put a fucking like illusion over it and and give it even loftier claims right. is uh just a little really telling i think themselves. about the yeah, yeah. <laughs> um anyway so uh the K- kempelin um creates this device shows it to uh, maria Theresa of austria uh the empress um and it it's kind of amazing like it's you know holy shit so uh <laughs> yeah um and then it went on tour. And then, and so then, uh, it kind of goes. No, on I don't tour. know if it went on tour. No, no, it did. So uh, after the de- after the debut in 1770 at the uh, Schönbrunn Palace, uh, six months after uh, Peltier's act, uh, what is that? I don't know. Oh, he like there was this Francois Pelletier was this like French illusionist and he used magnets in his act. Yeah. And so I think that the mechanical Turk like coincided or was set up to be unveiled simultaneous to Francois Pelletier doing his like French illusion um, repertoire for the same for the same person for uh, for. Maria the Teresa. Empress of Austria yeah, yeah Maria yeah. Teresa yeah um okay so there they are you know so six months later Kemplin's like oh hold my beer um <laughs> yeah you know and uh <laughs> and so Kemplin addressed the court presenting what he had built and began the demonstration of the machine and its parts with every showing of the Turk Kemplin began by opening the doors and drawers of the cabinet allowing members of the audience to inspect the machine following this display Kemplin would announce that the machine was ready for a challenger um, so Kemplin would inform the player that the Turk would use the white pieces and have the first move. Um, I think in chess, this might be significant. I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, but I think, I think that it is, I think that, um, I think it's generally considered that white has the advantage because they have the first move. Yes. I believe you are correct about this. Um, so between moves, the Turk kept its left arm on the cushion. The Turk could not, could nod twice if it threatened its opponent's queen and three times upon placing the king in check. Um, if the opponent made an illegal move, the Turk would shake its head, move the piece back, and make its own move, thus forcing a forfeit of its opponent's move. Um, mm. Which is to say, like, I mean, in chess, if you give up one move like that, it's basically over, because now you have, yeah. like, a huge advantage over the other player because you've been able to move one of your pieces twice while they've basically not been able to move a piece. So, yeah. Um, yeah, chess is a game that's like very neck and neck the entire time. It is. I mean, I, I think, think it's. I don't like. Sorry. Oh no. I, yeah. I talked over you. No. Go. I was just gonna say that. Like, uh, it. I don't play chess well. It requires a type of structured thought that I am just either not practiced at or like intrinsically not very good at. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm excellent at some types of puzzle solving, like crossword puzzles. I'm fucking dynamite at Sudoku. Yeah. I'm like I understand the concept, but I cannot do the thing. Um, and chess is like one of those things where I'm like, I get that there's special moves, mm-hmm. but I think like I think in terms of my understanding of chess, I'm like still at a such a novice level where I'm like, okay, how do these pieces move? And I'm not thinking of the overall game as a strategy or a choreography. I'm still like, move this two pieces, this piece, two pieces, slice, whatever it's, it's spaces to the left. And so like I, I don't 
I don't actually understand any of the strategy that goes into chess. It's very abstract in a very narrow way. Like it's yeah, not like, like you're just like, oh, hey, here's this imaginary space where anything goes and you can kind of like bring your own personality to bear. It's like it's a very like the rules are very strict. It's very tight and narrow in the ways that pieces can move. But the like the long abstract like ramifications of that are long and varied but yeah. again very narrow in their particular pathways right like you can't yeah. just be like oh the knight can go anywhere no it has a very strict you know set of places that it can go or that you know yeah and like when it's appropriate <clears throat> to use it and all that exactly stuff. yeah i kind of feel like chess is like it's not so much about winning as it is maintaining your position until your opponent fucks up it, it's very much like that yeah um hmm. i i play i had a friend that i played with quite a lot that um oh. I really enjoyed playing with because we a lot of times we play the games it was like we'd get we really just enjoyed the fact that like we'd have these really interesting games even though I think mostly I lost a lot I'm not something like chess is hard for me because it's like I can have these like moments of brilliance and do well but I I lose my I'm not like my focus can't stay on it for the entire span of the game well enough for me to like yeah you know to really be excelling excel at it like i yeah. can have some moments where it's like oh that was actually a really interesting move that you know gave me an advantage for a moment but in the long run i can't do that like sustainable thing where it's like mm -hmm. oh you know 15 moves in like i'm i've already lost the plot so um, <laughs> anyway um yeah so uh so there is this you know uh kemplin what is his name uh kempler uh, Kem kempler Kempelen. Kempelen. Kempelen um, is, you know, exhibiting this thing. It's basically like this stage show where people come up and play it. Um, uh -huh. And uh, and as we discussed, the 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 mechanical nerk uh, nerk Turk <laughs> could nod um, uh -huh. a couple of times depending on you know certain things. So like in chess, um, it's generally considered. I I think generally the rules are you must announce that you've put a put the king in check um or you know like that's that's how i've always played as you kind of and making it like if you put the king in check which is to say you've threatened the king with a piece um you need to announce it so that the other player because uh, at that point the rules are you must you must undo the check in order to move forward so if your king is under check you can't do any other moves that don't remove Except, that check yeah. so right. You're either moving the king or you're attacking the piece or you're you're taking the piece that is threatening the king, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um Okay. So uh so the king so uh sorry, the king. So then the the mechanical <laughs> Turk could uh nod its head, kind of you know, participate illegal moves, undo them and and basically forfeit the the play by the other player. Um the first person to play against the Turk was Count Ludwig uh Ludwig von Kobenzi, um, an Austrian courtier at the palace. Um, I don't know anything else about him that's of note. The Wikipedia article uh, suggests that he um, conducted negotiations in Paris to end the war, end the war of the Second Coalition. Um, hmm. Did some other things. Um, yeah. So politics uh, guy. Yeah, like you know, a, my a less a, le a less major uh political player of history um okay so there uh so kemplin uh basically says here you go does a stage show um some people play um 
So Kemplin made it a point to traverse the room during the match and invited observers to bring magnets, irons, and lodestones to the cabinet to test whether the machine was run by a form of magnetism or weights. Um, which Right, okay, which is probably a response to the illusionist that was in the court that was doing a bunch of his shit with magnets. Like, aha, so you know that this guy does this with magnets, but we don't use magnets. Right, and it's kind of funny to me because it's like, what does that, you know, even if you had incorporated magnets in some way, how is that, like... To me, it's like, that's not the magic of this situation. <laughs> right. Like, I guess maybe the idea would be as if you were using magnets, then you had someone present who was like remotely controlling it in some way. Except mm-hmm. anybody who's been around magnets knows that the field of effect of like most modern, most common magnets that one can get their hands on is pretty short, right? Right. Like it's like, you know. Yeah, um, our shit's not, <laughs> shit would be flying across the room all the time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so... uh. The first person, uh, so this Count Ludwig von uh, Kobenzi, or uh, yeah, plays, um, and then other challengers that day played. Um, so the Count was quickly defeated. The observers of the match stating that the machine played aggressively and typically beat its opponents within thirty minutes. Um, hmm. uh, the Knights Tour, as we mentioned before, um, the Turk was also able uh, capable of. Uh, completing the tour without any difficulty from any starting point via pegboard used by the operator with a mapping of the puzzle laid out. Um, The Turk Mm. also had the ability to converse with spectators using a letter board. So it didn't just play chess. It kind of, you could put things in front of it that it would interact with. Um, Right. So as you can see, like I, you have to imagine like this probably seemed just fantastical. Because people, I'm sure. like anyone yeah. who was observing this and believed that no one was actually present in the cabinet, um, which it, you know, uh, Kemplin went to great lengths to kind of give the illusion of that, right? By allowing yeah. you, like, opening the door, showing that you could see entirely through the cabinet. There were no hidden cavities or anything that wasn't basically filled with machinery. Um, but uh, as we'll find out shortly, that was actually not the case. So, um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. So uh, let's just kind of skim through here. So um, following its world debut, it went on tour of Europe um, where other kind of potentially famous people had um, interactions with it. Um Let's see. Uh, in 1781, so basically, it kind of did this wor- world tour, um, and then Kemplin. Uh, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> that he kind of basically like kept the tour pretty short and didn't yeah. really present it to very many people, which is kind of what you want to do when you're trying to pull a fast one over people. It's like not let yes. them look too closely, right. um, really control that. And so, uh, however, in 1781, Kemplin was ordered by Emperor Joseph II to reconstruct the Turk and deliver it to Vienna for a state visit from Grand Duke Paul of okay, Russia. Okay, so from wife. the from the first time he displayed it to the, to the Empress of Austria yeah. till 18... 18- or 1781 yeah he, he only had it around for like 11 years before not even because he like showed it and then stopped showing yeah it. basically did a tour and then he's like okay that's done and um and basically took it apart um so let's see what he, so in the decade following its debut at the palace uh the turk only played one opponent sir robert murray keith a scottish noble and kemplin uh kemplin went 
as far as dismantling the Turk ent entirely following the match. Um, and he was quoted as referring to the invention as a mere uh, bagatelle. Mm, yeah, bagatelle. Bagatelle, um, uh, which is to say like a trifle. Um, yeah. And um, as he was not pleased with its popularity and would rather continue work on steam engines and machines that replicated human speech. So, um, yeah, like in many ways, it was sort of like a pub publicity stunt for his other stuff, probably. You know, mm -hmm. he was probably like, mm -hmm. you know, able to then secure like funding for other work or find people who were interested in sure. know, supporting him and doing other cool shit, which is why you go parade this shit around in front of royalty, right? Yeah, of course. You go like, look at my thing. Can I have some money to finish other things? Right. Yeah. If you think that's cool, imagine what I could do with a hundred pounds. Like, right. Um, imagine what I could do when I'm not lying to you. Right. <laughs> 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 um. So anyway, Emperor Joseph the uh, Second says, "Fuck you. I want to see this shit. Bring it to Vienna." And uh, so he does. Um. Mm -hmm. And the appearance was so successful that Grand Duke Paul suggested a tour of Europe for the Turk. A request to which Kempelin reluctantly agreed. Um, so now it's 1783. Uh, he kind of drags it around. Uh, some more people play, um, including uh, the Turks' final game in Paris, which was against Benjamin Franklin. Aha, here we go. Yeah. Uh, who was serving as ambassador to France from the United States. Uh, Franklin reportedly enjoyed the game with the Turk and was interested in the machine for the rest of his life. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and this I is can't, everything I hear about Ben Franklin. I'm like, I can't tell what I think about this guy. Like, I can't. I'm like, would I have entered, enjoyed this man's company or would I just have been like annoyed in the extreme by this person? Like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know. It may not have been either or. Uh, right. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I don't have um... like I want to think he was a cool guy, but also on some level, I'm like, was he like some creepy womanizer or something like right like, like <laughs> a bit of a sex pest like right like what was his deal i just like not yeah, a rapist but you know i mean that guy got fucking around like that guy yeah. did all kinds of shit he was all over the planet he right. was tying shit to kites and getting electrocuted like what was going on with this person I, so i the one thing like and this isn't really so much about benjamin franklin i just want to put this in context of like you know this this lauded historical figure at least in the u.s benjamin franklin um became obsessed with this machine uh -huh. who at least um from historical accounts were led to believe he didn't he had no idea how it worked but he was like believed it to be of a mechanical nature right okay. um which is not entirely wrong it's true that there's a human involved, there's a human component, but he probably, like, we're led to believe that he did not believe that there was a human involved in the operation of the machine uh -huh. while he was playing chess. So uh -huh. um, I want to put that in context of how we get to um, this, the later part of the story. So kind of put a pin in that and just kind of think about the fact that Benjamin Franklin was like, holy shit, how the fuck does this work? I'm obsessed with this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I can't believe that was a real thing. Right. Um, but also, like, I do believe that it happened. Um, so, uh, so the final the final game happened. Um, so then, uh, uh, following the tour of Paris, Kemplin moved the Turk to London, where it was exhibited daily for five shillings. Um, there was uh, somebody called Thicknessy. Hmm. 
known in his time as a skeptic, sought out the Turk in an attempt to expose the inner workings of the machine. While he respected Kemplin as a very ingenious man, he asserted that the Turk was an elaborate hoax with a small child inside the machine, describing the machine as a complicated piece of clockwork, which is nothing more than one of many other ingenious devices to misguide and delude the observers. So uh-huh. there so were there were, skeptics. there were skeptics already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, after a year in London, Kemplin and the Turk traveled to Leipzig, uh, stopping in various European cities, cities along the way. Um, it after Leipzig, it went to Dresden, uh, where Joseph Frederick Friar von Racknitz. That uh, is a hell of a name. Yes. Uh, and this particular historical figure uh, was part of the Racknitz family um, from Germany and uh, of note, according to Wikipedia, is Racknitz also had a sizable insect collection. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, sizable insect collection. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, right? Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so anyway, so there it is. Um, viewed the Turk. Uh, so this uh, Joseph or uh, Mister Racknitz or Royalty mm-hmm. Racknitz or whatever is mm-hmm. anyway viewed the Turk yeah. and published his findings in uh, Uber den uh, Schatzspieler de Hern von Kemplin und dessen Nach Nachbildung, Nachbildung, nice. yeah. Uh, along with illustrations showing his beliefs about how the machine operated. Um, so that's interesting. So he he kind of was like, hey, here's how this thing works. So people are mm-hmm. like trying to speculate about how this thing works, which is... Do we know whether he was right? Um, uh, let's see. So I'm going to look up that publication and see. Uh, well, uh, Google Books has a scan of the publication. However, it's all in German and my German uh-huh. is not that good. Yeah. So I don't know. And it also doesn't say in the article, which is kind of a bummer. Mm. Um, my guess is that because it doesn't um, say that he was like a skeptic of it, it's probably he just had speculations about you okay. know, how the machine worked. Um, but I don't know. Uh, so then the machine was moved to Amsterdam, uh, after which Kemplin said, uh, is said to have accepted an invitation to the uh, Sensauchi Palace in Postdam of uh, Frederick the Great, King of Prussia. Okay. Um, the story goes that Frederick enjoyed Turk so much that he paid a large sum of money to Kemplin in exchange for the Turk's secrets. Uh, I love how like this guy makes this fucking thing, and he's like, "Sweet, we pulled it off. Nobody knows. We're shutting it down, dismantling it. Yes. We got away with it." And then like eleven years later, some other fucking guy's like, "No, bring it back!" And yes. then this guy has to go on this like yes. ill-fated tour. Yeah. He's like, "Well, I was working on a steam engine, but I guess I'll continue this hoax a decade later." Right. I have to imagine like it would be stressful to have, right? To, to have like to have really lied to these like major courts um right. with, like a huge <laughs> yes. amount of power right like you don't know how like they might be like good job you pulled one over on us if they found out or they right. might be like to death right. with you like right off with your head you liar. off with your head you liar um, you look like an idiot in front of all these people i look like an idiot <laughs> exactly <laughs> just seems i yeah anyway um so uh so anyway, so the story goes that uh, Frederick was like, here's a bunch of money. Tell me how it works. Um, uh-huh. 
Frederick never gave the secret away, but but was reportedly disappointed to learn how the machine worked. So Aww. potentially we're we're learning that um yeah, that Kempelin was like, okay, for that much money, absolutely, here's the deal. Um and then Frederick was like, boo. <laughs> right. I like I can I can only imagine that he thought he was like paying for some great insight and then yeah. Kemplin's like, "Oh, it's just a tiny person in there." Oh, fucking Wikipedia. So then then the next <laughs> sentence is this. This story is almost certainly apocryphal. There is no evidence that the Turks encounter with Frederick the first. So so Wiki <laughs> so basically Wikipedia like inserted, you know, this is the this is the bane of crowdsourced writing, right? Somebody uh-huh. was like oh here's an interesting story that there's plenty of evidence that this this story was told but mm-hmm. there's no evidence to suggest that the story is true so right. um which is fine a bunch of times you but know it was a lie every time right yeah um <laughs> well if you were listening you all got to go through that uh that s- small truth roller coaster with us right. um <laughs> Uh, now watch this is going to come up when i get on final jeopardy and i'm going to answer incorrectly because i can't remember what was a truth and what was a lie about a lie box that plays chess with people (laughs) (laughs) the lying chess box Uh the lying racist chess box so right (laughs) look at this can you imagine like if you inherited this thing like Like it wasn't in some museum or something or wherever this thing is now. And you just like it had like it had all this cultural significance, but was also loaded with all of this like weird uh-huh. racism. Like, well, you can't get rid of it. You just have to keep the box. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like you just have to sit on yeah. it. <laughs> like, yeah. We put it in the attic and forget it's there, but you can't get rid of it and you can't destroy it. <laughs> so essentially, um, mm-hmm. this is kind of what happened. So. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. b- basically, um, at this point, according to Wikipedia, it seems most likely that the machine stayed dormant at the um, Schönbrunn Palace for over two decades, although Kempelin attempted unsuccessfully to sell it in his final years. Uh, oh Kempelin, Kempelin died at the age of 70 in 1804. Um, following the death of Kemplin, the Turk remained unexhibited until 1805 when Kemplin's son decided to sell it to Johann Nip- Nipomuk Mazel. Mm. Mazel? Mm. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. M-A-L-Z-E-L, but A with a, with the, um, fuck, what are the two dots called? Umlau. Umlau, yeah. Is that Umlau? <laughs> I think so. Um, Mazel. Mazel. Uh, anyway, so yeah. Ma- Malezell uh, acquires the machine from uh, Kemplin's son um, okay. for some price, which is not disclosed here. Um, but uh, Malezell was a Bavarian musician with an interest in various machines and devices. Um, his uh, his success included patenting a form of metronome, um, which is... Uh, like not a farce, an actual device that works. Um, <laughs> he tried to purchase the device previously before Kemplin's de- death. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original attempt had failed owing to Kemplin asking a price of 20,000 francs. Uh, Kemplin sold the machine for uh, Melzel for half this sum. So uh, Melzel pays 10,000 francs, which I have to imagine was quite a lot of money considering at one point it was exhibiting for, um, you could play it for five uh what was it um 
five shillings, right? Mm. Which is a you know a significantly small. I mean, not yeah. not a trivial amount of money depending on your your socioeconomic standing at that time, but um, you know, not you're not going to earn back ten thousand francs doing right. that, right? Yeah. Um, in any reasonable amount of time. So, uh, all right. So upon acquiring the Turk, uh, Maisel had to learn its secrets and make some repairs to get it back in working order. His stated goal was to make explaining the Turk a greater challenge. While the completion of this goal took 10 years, the Turk still made appearances, most notably with Napoleon Bonaparte. So already this machine has had some interactions with some other major, uh, or, or, potentially major historical figures at least as we've recorded them <clears throat> yeah. um, and uh and so in 1809 uh napoleon arrived at the schoenbrunn palace to play the turk um and according to an eyewitness account uh, uh Malzell took responsibility for the construction of the machine while preparing the game and the turk um saluted napoleon before the start of the match so it suggests that the person who was playing Napoleon was someone named uh, Johann Bap- Bap- Baptiste Algier, okay, uh, an, a German Austrian chess master and th- theoretician. So, um, so at this point, they're suggesting that um, this Johann Baptiste Algier Al- Algier uh, was was basically the one hiding inside the box. Okay. Um, there's been numerous different accounts of the chess match, um, many of them contradictory. Uh, it is believed that um, the the Turk sat at its cabinet and Napoleon sat at a separate chess table. Napoleon's table was in a roped off area and he was not allowed to cross into the Turk's area. Mm. Um, so basically, Napoleon was not allowed to sit close to the Turk and actually play it on the same chessboard. Um, which means that probably somebody was assigned to move the pieces for the Turk. Um, let's see. Um, in a surprise move, Napoleon took the first turn instead of allowing the Turk to make uh, to make the first move, as was usual. Uh, but Malzell allowed the game to continue. Shortly thereafter, Napoleon attempted an illegal move. Upon noticing the move, the Turk returned the piece to its original spot and continued the game. Napoleon attempted the illegal move a second time, and the Turk responded by removing the piece uh, from the board entirely and taking its turn. Napoleon then attempted the move a third time. The Turk responded with a sweep of its arm, knocking all of the pieces off the board. Napoleon was reportedly amused and then played a real game with the machine, completing 19 moves before tipping over his king in surrender. Um, so that's one one account of this interaction. Uh, alternate versions of the story include Napoleon being unhappy about losing the machine, playing the machine at a later time, playing one match with a magnet on the board, and playing a match with a shawl around the head of the body of the Turk in an attempt to obscure its vision. So who fucking knows? Um, yeah. Yeah, lots of versions of the story. But probably Napoleon played, um, we're guessing, uh, you know, according to history. So at this point... Um, like, I think the reason that was this is so interesting to me, and I think why maybe I can't speak for you, Meg, why you give a shit about any of this. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to kind of, um, kind of like put in in context, like there are these major historical figures who um, were supposedly, in some regard, either duped by the machine or 
um, interacted with it, impressed with it. Um, Otherwise, maybe did not believe that there was a person controlling it, right? Um, Right. Who's to say for sure? But uh, there were also skeptics. And uh, one of them, I think, is of very good interest, which is we brought up as we brought up. um, Uh And let me find that article so we can start from there. Um, Fuck, too many, too many. There we go. So, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, famed author, and as we mentioned earlier, was... Unnecessarily disparaged person. Yes, unnecessarily disparaged person was a skeptic. Um, He wrote an essay called Mausel's Chess Player uh, in 1836, exposing a fraudulent automaton chess player called the Turk, which he which had become famous in Europe in the you know, and in the United States and toured widely, as we just discussed. So um, in his essay, Poe asserts that the mechanical chess player would play perfectly, but Mausel's machine occasionally uh, errs and is therefore suspect. Although it is most famous although although it is the most famous essay on the Turk, many of Poe's hypotheses were incorrect. He also may or may not have been aware of earlier articles written by the Baltimore Gazette, as we alluded to earlier, um, where it claimed that um, youths were reported, or young people had reportedly seen the chess player uh, William uh, Schlumberger climbing Mm -hmm. out of the machine. Right. Um, However, uh, Poe did borrow heavily from David Brewster's letter on natural magic. Other essays and articles had been written and published prior to Poe's. uh, in which Poe had li- uh, so at at cities where Poe had lived and visited mm-hmm. during uh, before writing the essay. So the suggestion is that like Poe didn't just come up with it himself. He's like, oh, there's yeah. a bunch of people who say this is bullshit. I'm on board with that. This seems like it's bullshit. Yeah. Um, so uh, and so Poe's essay basically asserts that uh, Maisel's uh, troop of automata had had made at least one previous visit to. Um, Richmond, Virginia, some years ago, at which time they were exhibited in the house now occupied by uh, Bousseau as a dancing academy. Mm. Yet, very oddly, Poe gives no precise date or location for his own recent encounter with Mazel's chess player, apart from stating that it was exhibited in Richmond. Um, so, the essay is of importance because it predicts that some general motifs of, uh, in that it predicts some general motifs of modern uh, science fiction. Uh, Poe was also beginning to create an analytical method that would eventually be used in his tales of, uh, fuck, what's this? I hate this word. Uh, ratiocination. I've seen this before. Um, oh, I don't know. It is the uh, ratiocination, reasoning, conscious, deliberate interference, uh, interference, the activity or processing of reasoning. Mm. Um, it's kind of an awkward word, but... Uh, so the importance of this essay, which was basically just to debunk um, this, was that uh, debunk the Mechanical Turk was that um, he was it. It potentially shows some of his earlier thinking and writing as he was working into like his more yeah. more famous works. Um, his yeah, it just demonstrates his evolution as a writer. Yeah. Um, and this and this 
basically basically what he was saying is he was emphasizing that a mind was operating the machine which is I to say see. that he was he may have not known for sure that there was someone in the box operating it but his from his point of view you were not playing some artificial mind you were playing a human yeah um uh i think uh According to Wikipedia, the time of the publication of the article, it um, elicited response from the Norfolk Herald, Baltimore Gazette, uh, many other U.S. publications, um, and <laughs> the New Yorker. The and the New Yorker basically suggested that the article's only fault was its excessive length. <laughs> TLDR. Yeah. <laughs> He's making a lot of good points. He just says it too long. Right. Excellent. Yeah. So um, anyway, that is the Mechanical Turk, and it's I think it's pretty fascinating how it like touched on all these like major histori- historical figures. Yeah. Um, lots of people interacted with it, and I just think it's interesting how um, like which of these historical figures were the skeptics, and which ones were um, may have been skeptical, but they never seem to call bullshit. They like their methods of like debunking it were much more direct and like i'm gonna play you know supposedly napoleon was like i'm gonna play it and like he felt like he could defeat it and then didn't and maybe he was amused maybe he left angry about it who knows but right um, uh this also like in the in the wikipedia article it talks about like the Turk had the ability to converse with spectators using a letter board, which totally reminds me of like Ouija boards and like mediums and communications with dead and seances. Like, wasn't Mm -hmm. that all happening around the same time too? Yeah. 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 Like people were like obsessed with these sort of like Mm -hmm. uh, genres of the, the spiritual and supernatural and stuff. It's felt like, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird time. I it also kind of makes me think about how um you know, where we live now, like in the time period that we live now where there's mm-hmm. still um you know, there's still these like in many ways it's like flat earther society has become like the idea of like yeah. all these conspiracy theories and and this like perception that um you know the world around us is not what we think and and all of that and mm-hmm. but also like two extremes right it's like sure i you know I, one could argue that the world is not we don't fully understand it but that's not the same as saying like the things that we do understand are completely garbage without providing strong supporting evidence like we you know it's yeah. interesting to me how um you know unfortunately like when we're reading history at this period like we're really only relying on like these like these strong loud mouthed accounts of typically like white men right like it's not yeah um you know so it's always colored in that vein it's always colored in like what they believed and so it's really hard for us to know um i i think it's harder to know what like the general like populace was believing at the time Mm -hmm. um in any like at least to the degree that we know now, right? It's like, I generally think that we can kind of look at the world and be like, oh man, like probably most people believe that the world is round, but there's like a strong fraction of people who are like, nope, nope, all this is <laughs> bullshit. I reject everything and I'm going to launch myself into space and kill myself because I believe so strongly that the world works differently. Like, right. you know, it's just like, what the fuck? Um, or sorry, not into space because space doesn't exist, but, you know, build a yeah. rocket and fly up there and and really show all you fuckers that this is really the way the world is. Um, We're surrounded by an ice wall. Yeah. 
God. A giant circular ice wall. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, um, what I love is when yeah. the flat earth people go out and like try to prove with physics that the earth is flat and then it just completely reinforces that yes, it is certainly yes. spherical. Yes. And they're like, this just, a, this data doesn't make sense. And I'm like, it does. It just tells you something you don't want to know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I think they're, that's where. so mad about it. That's where it's really interesting to me too, where it's. Um, cause I, you know, science is complicated. And as we learn more information about the world, like it's just a fucking like tsunami flood of detail and information yeah. that is, um, you know, no one person can fully appreciate or, you know, no, you can't know it all anymore. Right. Um, right. and I think that it's understandable that someone might be like, oh, I'm skeptical of this thing. And that like much of that start of it is like following the process of science, right? It's like, yes, absolutely be skeptical. Go verify this shit. It's just funny to me when it's like they build these things that they're convinced will tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. And then when it gives them that information, they reject it if it doesn't match their model, which right. tells you like how um, where the flaws are in science in general, right? Like it, this yeah. happens in the scientific community all the time where you create a hypothesis, which is to say, I'm going to speculate that the world is this way, it's flat. And then I'm going to design some like falsifiable evidence, you know, methods to verify that. Right. And then you go out and it turns out that they don't agree with your hypothesis. In good science, you would be like, okay, great. You know, learned that that was wrong, and then you readjust and rework your information. But mm -hmm. the the problem, of course, is that like we have these biases, both from a biological point of view, or just the nature of being human, as well as like that stupid fucking financial incentive, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. like the funding said that I needed to prove that this is true, and now right. if I prove that it's wrong, I'm going to lose my funding, and I need to not lose my funding, and so. You know, we got to figure out how to make this be true. <laughs> yeah. How the fuck do I make this be true? Um, how do I make this be true? <laughs> God, it's just such a, anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't need to tell you. I know all about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I really uh, appreciate it when people get results for things back from things that they're like convinced it's a certain way and then they <laughs> yes. are, it's revealed to be not uh, what they thought right and, right and that that how people respond in that moment yes that like that that limbo of a moment where it's like oh what yeah. are you gonna do right <laughs> yes i just yep. love the the those those moments of interfacing between mm -hmm. like the abstract concept of something in the reality of something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, quite good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I can imagine that for people who encountered the mechanical Turk, like whatever they were expecting, it probably was not what they got. Right. I, I mean, a part of me is like, like there must have just been so much surprise and like, weirdness at that interface of like okay yeah. i i see i see everything you've showed me but something just isn't adding up here for me you know right right and that that is like to me kind of fascinating because also i imagine that in some ways like the accounts of it are more fantastical than it is than it was because right. at the time um you know what like imagine you know if you 
are older and you watched some of these movies, like you grew up in the 80s and 90s and you watched some like 90s movies with special effects. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was like, like I can't think of any movies really off the top of my head, but like you watch them and it's like, it feels more real then. Like but fucking Star Wars. Like Star Wars, special yeah. special effects in Star Wars were fairly amazing at the time. Yeah, and then you go back and you see them and you're like, oh, this uh, this just is like so fake. Like, you right. know, it's just like, even, you know, even then you knew it was fake, but the effect felt very real. Right. And I can imagine that, um, you know, in many ways that was the same case because there was nothing yes. to compare it to. And so, uh, you know, a mechanical arm that like, you know, can sweep the pieces off the board you know, these days might look like someone just took a broom and like mechanically swept it as opposed to like this fully articulated, like lifelike mechanical hand. Um, And so the accounts of it can are probably skewed in that way as well. Right. It's like, you know, it's accounts of like, it was amazing. It swept the pieces off the board. It did these things. It could not. And, you know, whereas it's like, what you really mean is like a head, like a bobblehead bobbled around a few times. Like, you know, it's like, what, yes. what is the actual, like the reality versus what people already ascribe to it as this amazing thing. Right. Um, like how you describe it lends itself to the magic or not. Like mm-hmm. for like your point of origination in thinking about this thing has a lot to do with it too. So for example, if it's just like, if I dress up, the cardboard box that a refrigerator came in and stick a kid inside with a mannequin on top (laughs) and i and i videotape it playing chess right like that is you're predisposed to be like less impressed with that because you're like okay obviously this is pretty rudimentary right like whatever's going on here i don't know but it's obviously like a setup yeah but if you were somebody back in the day who was operating on the assumption that there was like if you're like, okay, this is a box with a human person in it, mm-hmm. and you're and you're just kind of creating the impression of like an automated, a, 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 a fiendish chess playing automaton. Yes. Like, if you know that there's a human in it, your expectations are so lowered that you're not going to be impressed no matter what. Maybe right, unless like a child built it. But if you actually think that there's no person in it, and you're impressed by like the sort of superficial display of gears and stuff on the inside and the fact that you can see all the way through it and like where would a person even fit in there right if you suspend your disbelief for a second yeah that could actually be really impressive yeah not impressive if it's a person in there right but super impressive if it's actually just mechanical like how would you even do that and so like your the expectations that people bring to it i'm sure Oh, I yeah, it's yeah, and then basically you basically walk- filled in all the blanks for them, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting now too is that, like, from the standpoint of being in the twenty first century, it might just be impressive that four hundred years ago somebody was able to even build some shit like that. Right. Right. Like it was impressive at first, then we decided it wasn't impressive, but now it's impressive again. <laughs> now it's impressive again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It is pretty. Funny. <clears throat> yeah. Um, oh, what did that make me think of? Too that made me think of something that I was going to tell you about that was like not super closely related, but still, I was like, oh, I don't know what other context in which I would mention this, but now I forgot what it was. So, no. oh well. Yeah, that's all right. Maybe it'll come up. Yeah. Um, so uh i think that's it for cool. me yeah because i i do 
unfortunately it's Monday and I have to go to work. Um, um, yeah, but, uh, thank you everybody for listening. And, uh, do we have any, I don't think we have any like extra segments for anything. Um, uh, no, I mean, here's a good tip for living well in hell. Okay. Um, yes. I like those. Those are good. Try not to be too easily impressed. <laughs> like <that>. Yes. <laughs> Jermaine <laughs> uh, to the conversation at hand. Uh, right. Good advice in general. Yeah. Being easily impressed makes you a mark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Um, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, once again, we'd love to hear from you. You can email Dana, our CEO and founder at d-a-n-a at fcbm.io um we totally dig your opinion and thoughts we do yes send us mail yeah and then otherwise um we'll we'll be you'll be hearing from us in the following weeks as we try to record more podcasts and get them out the door yay yeah the proverbial door not the the proverbial door door. yes not the real door yeah (laughs) The podcast door, the outdoor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the outdoor. The outdoor. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I guess that's all okay. I got. All right. Okay. All right. Bye.